welcome to A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Um, lots going on at the moment. Uh, obviously, we have Beer Gates carrying on and on and on. Uh, I don't want to delve too much further. Well, do I want to jump into Beer Gate, Curry Gate? I mean, like, we, all, we all know how fucking ridiculous it is to see the leader of the opposition made a false equivalent to the PM's serial law-breaking, right? We, we all understand how outrageous that is, but it's just another day, another week or two on this weird fucking island where, like, it, here's, here's the thing, right? This, this is where it starts, right? We have six right-wing newspapers. Uh, I call them STEM newspapers mostly, but that only covers four of them. The STEM newspapers are, are Sun, Telegraph, Express, and Mail. But then there's also the Star and the Times. So that's six right-wing. Um, and they outgun the two left-wing ones, uh, the Mirror and the Guardian. And so everything from BBC Breakfast to Sky News to LBC and Talk Radio ends up skewed again, right? Because they, because it starts with the right-wing lean of the newspapers and graduates to mainstream news on television and on uh, digital formats. And it bleeds out again and again with a right-wing take on it through, you know, like the, the what the papers say segments on breakfast television, you know, and they do it on everything. They do it on LBC, on Nick Ferrari. They do it on uh, Sky News Breakfast. They do it on BBC. Like literally everyone takes their cue from the British newspapers. It's kind of weird. Um, and it, so it, it starts with the newspapers. It goes on to breakfast TV. It goes on to the radio. And then where, where does it end up? It ends up with you surrounded by 60-year-olds in the local pub saying shit like, well, 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 now they're saying... Like, it's always they. This unspecified, ambiguous group of super reliable, in-the-know people. They. Now they. Now they are saying Starmer's just as bad with the old curry and beers. So they're all at it, aren't they? Like, they're, they're all at it. They're all the bloody same aid. You know, like, that's, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, is with the public sort of consensus and, and this, like, this total warping of reality and people believing it. And yet, as I've said before, like if you ask the same people if they trusted newspapers to report things factually, I think they would tell you, oh, bloody newspapers, are you mad? No, they exaggerate, they make up sources, they lie, and then when they're found out lying, then they just print the apology on page 23. Like, everyone knows how much they lie and how dishonest they are. But for some reason, again and again... They allow the papers to very slowly frame and form their opinion for them. Allow the papers to do that. It's probably the wrong word. It's sort of subconscious, isn't it? It's like a psychological manipulation kind of trick. Like very subtle radicalization, I think, is what it is. And that opinion that, that is then allowed to be formed has most of the time a, an aggressive lean to the right to it. Uh, I mean, it really is astounding how optimised and efficient the right-wing news machine is now in the UK. Like, it's... Like, when you consider the intelligence level of our, like, first tier of right-wingers that we see on television, like your Liz Truss, your... Who's the growing concrete guy on talk radio? Mikey Graham, is that right? Uh, Mark Francois, Bill Cash... Desmond Swain, Nadine Dorries, like these are just low rent, high risk, you know, barrel scraped motherfuckers. Astounding 
that these crayon-eating cretins or, or their subordinates or subsidiaries have been able to construct such a well-oiled machine. It's a bit like, uh, you know, like you would look at them, you go like, are you guys? Like, you guys were able to do this? This level of devious manipulation of the public consciousness? Really? Because you all come off as a bit, you know, like, I don't know, how, how do we say this in 2022? <laughs> You know, you all come off as a little bit, uh, like, m medicated? Is that, <laughs> is that a polite way of saying it? It's like finding out a hugely impaired guy in a wheelchair is actually the author of A Brief History of Time. You know? It's, there's something in that. Is that do you know what I mean? Like, you would, you'd make an assumption about these people, and yet actually they're seemingly incredibly smart like smart enough to construct this as i say like well-oiled right-wing news machine and so with with curry gates like if you spool back just examine it like academically how this has come about but they start off trying to peddle this nonsense and i remember that clearly it was like what fucking two weeks ago maybe three weeks ago when the mail started running the story or was it just was it just Dan Hodges on a mad one on Twitter? I don't know. Like e either way, I remember when they wheeled it out again because it wasn't brand new. It was just a thing that they started amping up in the run up to the local elections, right? Like like the curry and beer event or or revelation was discussed last year, I remember. Like it had been in the the papers before, but it didn't take flight then because they didn't have this coordinated effort or or desperation behind it. So when they brought it back, in the run-up to the election, against the backdrop of a, this embattled, beleaguered prime minister, I remember thinking right there, oh, well, nobody's going to buy this shit. You know, like, like it had already been out and they were just wheeling it out again. They were trying their luck. It's like a, it's like a shit husband trying to bring something out of the woodwork to win an argument, you know, but it's just, it's not, like, like his wife's like, uh, his wife's like, Nathan, you slept with my sister, you spent our flat deposit money taking her to the south of France for a week. I want a divorce. And then, like, Nathan's like, well, which, well so I'm I'm the one that's bad with money? Like, you, you borrowed 50 quid off me last year to go out with your friends. And, and then when I asked for it back, you said you'd take us out for dinner instead. But half of the dinner bill would have been 30 quid, not 50 quid. So who can say who owes money, Sharon? This is this is why we're perfect for each other, babe. Because we're, we're the same, <laughs> you know? Like, And she's like, we're not the same, Nathan. It is not the same thing. And he's like, no, no, it is. It's, uh, it's exactly the same. Now, let's move on, you know? Like, I know that sounds a bit over the top. But it is kind of that outrageous, you know, trying to draw parallels with two things that are fundamentally not the same. The Curry event being hyped as the same as Boris Johnson, breaking his own rules 20 times, lying about them, getting fined, refusing to resign, breaking the ministerial code. These are not the same. And when they ran that shit first, again, like when they rehashed it, what, two or three weeks ago, whatever it was, like Starmer's curry shame or, or whatever. It was like, you know, when you read the headlines of the mail and the express and the reaction is just an eye roll, <laughs> you know, like it's just, uh, really just a perfect half circle of contempt over each eye, eyes rolling up and around like your eyeballs are underscoring the contempt of your eyebrows.
Like, ugh. <laughs> For whichever poor sack of shit had to sign off on that story and that headline. That's the kind of eye roll they get when they run or when they ran or re-ran the Currygate story. From me, at least. I don't know. Clearly someone out there is buying it and fucking loving it. But it's like the kind of eye roll that everyone does at a Christmas dinner when your uncle says his new thing for that year. You know? Like the uncle who's just this perpetual, pathetic failure. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm really into crypto now. I'm a, I'm a crypto trader. And that's like in 2019 or something. And in 2020, he's like, well, this acting's, acting is one of those things that it's never too late to get into. <laughs> Everyone's eye roll. Or like, you know, 2021, now I'm going back to palm reading college or, or something. The eye roll that you give to that person is the same eye roll I give to these desperate headlines. You know, the Christmas dinner eye roll, a communal one. I like to think, I like to think listeners of this podcast, you guys, I like to think listeners here would all join me in the same reaction to that. Like we're all at Christmas dinner, sat around a table, someone drops an express headline or a palm readers college thing because I don't know, fuck it. So much of the express's output now is based on weirdly predicting the future. Like Boris promises Brexit benefits, you know, <laughs> it's not far off palm reading. And it, like, and us, like you and me, we just give it like somebody says stuff to us like that. We just give it this instant, impulsive 360 communal eye roll around the table. Everyone's reactionary eye roll to those headlines is like one after the other, like a Mexican wave of eye rolls around the table. All of our size in harmony. You know, like, ugh. <laughs> like, like a choir of derision. And obviously, you know, like with, with the weird uncle, I know I'm jumping in and out of metaphor here, but bear with me, right? Like with, with the weird uncle, we like that because you don't believe the sewage that's coming out of his mouth, right? Like it's like a burst fire hydrant of nonsense coming out at every time, every year around, oh, I'm going to be an actor now. We don't believe it. Acting at 54, Rob. Why can't you get your fucking shit together? Like, are you going to be an actor now? Can you act like a fucking adult, maybe? You ready? Here we go. Okay, light, lights, camera, action. Go. Really get into it, Rob. Please. Please commit to the part. Method act, if you have to. Just please act like a fucking grown-up, Rob. Like, that's... We just don't believe what's coming out of his mouth, you know? So we roll our eyes at the desperate story we're hearing or reading in the Express and the Mail and the Sun's case. I'm going to read palms now. Rob, literally nobody believes what you just said. Like that kind of eye roll we give to these tabloids when they restarted with the Durham curry shit. Like, guys, this is not that. Just let it go. It's not the same. This is embarrassing for you. You know, like. So we thought nobody would believe it. But lo and behold, they kept at it and just pushing every day following some perfectly honed script, you know? Day one, picture of Starmer enjoying a beer, and day two, Starmer refuses to answer questions, and day three, row deepens. Five questions Starmer must answer. You know, like, they just have that way of building and emphasising and developing the story, even when fucking nothing has happened. Nothing. Nothing's developing, no new updates, no one's lied or dodged questions, but it's just two reporters and five hungover researchers snowballing this narrative. 
Because then we get to the efficiency, right? The, the precision machinery of the right-wing news machine. Like, they've pushed it and they've pushed it and put pressure on the police and claimed there's some new piece of evidence that actually just turned out to be a memo that said, oh, yeah, oh, maybe get some food in for later. <laughs> that was the, the new evidence that came out. And through that approach, the pressure, the headlines, the TV news picking it up, the what the papers say, here we are 14 days later or some shit, and it's genuinely such a scandal that the Labour leader has to go on TV and say, yeah, I might resign. Like, how fucking weird is that? That a non-story like this can get amped up to that level in 14 days. That's so... Like, presumably this would work for, like, any Labour leader, for any person, for any situation, or like similarly ridiculous non-story, you know, it's that you could amp it up in two weeks. You could take anything now and make it a nation-rocking scandal if you have the Sun, the Mail, and the Express behind it. <laughs> like if we did, if we did, right? Humor me here, guys. Humor me. If we did actually start seriously pushing the hashtag Boris fucks livestock thing, which look, if you're new to the show or you found me on Twitter or I was fucking around like uh, on, on a podcast that you listen to or whatever, where this comes from, there's, there's a couple of us that went on Twitter spaces uh, three or four weeks ago. And we were talking about three word slogans, like playing the Tories at their own game, three, three word slogans that could help labor win the election. And so I was taking the piss because that's what I do. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's, Boris fucks livestock should do it, you know? <laughs> so then that became the hashtag for the podcast. But if we were serious about pushing that and we used the same technique that the Tory journo political class employ for shit like Currygate, like how far could we push it? You know, like where, where could it go? How far could it go? And look, I know that's a weird question to ask of you, but but also this podcast, certainly this episode, is not a transactional conversation. You know, like you're not here. I don't have to listen to you say that's a weird question aid. So so without that quality control and feedback, I'm just left here running riot, really, aren't I? So let's ask it. How far could that go if we employed the same tactics as the Sun, Telegraph, Express and so on? Let's explore this shit. Let's play with this idea. How far could we push Boris fucks livestock? if we use the same techniques. Here we go. So, day one. This is how I think it would pan out, right? Day one. Westminster is swirling with rumours that the Prime Minister may have engaged in a sex act with an animal. Then you let Twitter catch fire, all the hashtags start, livestock gate, pig fucker comes back, uh, hashtag baron of bestiality. I'm sorry, this is... This is getting kind of gross. Uh... But let's carry on. Uh, day two. Silence in number 10 about livestock rumours. Silence. Silence or lack of response or just the person being busy uh, is reported ominously at this stage as though they're afraid to face the accusations. You know, that's what they do. Silence in number 10 about livestock rumours. Day three. Things are getting heated now. PM can't bury head in sand regarding livestock gate. Opponents say Johnson has questions to answer. We won't say what the questions are. We won't say specifically what he's accused of or scrutinise the veracity of the claims. 
or hold them up against supporting or unsupporting sources, we'll just say he can't bury his head in the sand. We will make him provide the scrutiny and the counterbalance. He could defend himself. He's a big boy. We'll just say he's got questions to answer and he can't bury his head in the sand about it. Where are we now? Day four. Day four of the Boris Fox livestock scandal developing when we use the same techniques as the Star and the Telegraph and Express and so on. Day four, PM spokesman finally denies livestock rumours. Meanwhile, an unnamed private, personal, leaky and hugely fictional source says, well, ask yourself this, if you'd had a foursome with a Labrador and two llamas, would you deny it? Of course you fucking would. Day five, now they start calling him beleaguered prime minister or embattled PM. That's how he's being portrayed now. And the headline now would be something like uh, new evidence emerges regarding livestock gate. <laughs> new evidence. It is, however, evidence that doesn't support or exonerate him. It's just like an Outlook calendar thing, a screenshot of it from a date when it was mentioned by someone anonymous, you know, in a parliamentary bar, possibly just as a metaphor or a swear word, you know, somebody referring to Boris Johnson like, oh, no, no, he's, oh, he's horse fucked it, you know, or like uh, somebody insulting him like, oh, Johnson, no, he's a filthy dog fucker that way, you know, just a vaguely referenced half serious way in a screenshotted message that looks a bit blurry, but we don't know if it's true or not or what it's referring to, but it is damning new evidence on day five. Day six, by this point, the chief of comms or strategy or something is tearing his hair out in number 10. The spin doctor, the Dominic Cummings type figure. If you go on TV now and say, I didn't fuck those llamas, you're going to look like someone who did fuck llamas because that's exactly what that person would say. And if you don't go on TV and protest your innocence, you're going to look like you're in hiding because you know that you did fuck the llamas, Mr. Johnson. So just you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Take your pick. Choose your assassin. And now, also on day six, the commentariat are all over it too. Boris fucks livestock. Going everywhere. Hashtags. It's been trending for days. The Mirror, The Guardian, The Times, The FT, HuffPost, The I. We're fantasising now, of course, that all of these have the same circulation as The Mail and The Sun. And, and that they all exist in a paper newspaper format. And that they're all included on breakfast TV, what the papers say. Uh, that is quite a, you know, lurid fantasy. But we're already fantasizing here about this thing, you know, actually taking off. So why not go a level deeper into the utmost, you know, the height of fantasy where the dominant press in the UK are not the ones that are owned by non-dom billionaires. We're going levels deep fantasy here. Uh, so the Mirror, the Guardian, the Times, FT, HuffPost and the Eye the comment, the opinion pages are all kicking in and it's shit like PM has failed to tackle rumours. And then, you know, you flip over to The Guardian and it's like, whether he did or not is irrelevant. Now it's a question of leadership. Just, you know, like that was half the problem with Corbyn, I remember, who we'll come on to in a minute. Uh, like, was he actually anti-Semitic? I don't know. I never met the guy. Probably not. He seemed okay. Like, for me, it was more like, Mate, if you can't handle this, these accusations, allegations, if you can't dismantle this and neuter it, then I don't know, maybe you're not meant to be the Labour leader. You know, like, like it, that was that was my thing with Corbyn was I just didn't think he had the leadership to him. 
Anyway, as I say, more more on Corbett in a minute. Um, now we're on day six, and the opinion pages, as I've said, are referring to it as a uh, an array of different. In, in fact, now on day six, they'll describe it as a shameful display of lack of leadership. And there's a, a key word there: shameful. It's a shameful display of lack of leadership. And that then gives them license the next day to use the word shame. Because <laughs> then technically you're referencing a shameful lack of leadership rather than declaring him guilty of llama fucking shame. You see, it's kind of clever. So then day seven, animal charities, fury at PM shame. <laughs> and you notice we, like, we have to kind of go back to the roots of this. There's still fuck all to it. It's based on nothing. It's just this, you know, this rumor and then an Outlook calendar screenshot thing, you know, half referencing a comment or a metaphor about, oh, he's horse fucked it. But, you know, now we're going to the RSPCA and save the llamas or whatever to get a quote. But we're like, oh, just give it to us straight. We, we don't know if he did fuck a llama in the face, but if he did, if he did fuck a llama, what would save the llamas think about that? Can we have a quote, please? Where does save the llamas stand on the possibility that the prime minister might have fucked a llama and then it would be like you know some exhausted save the llamas pr guy who wanted to be a journalist but ended up working in pr and save the llamas in an industrial estate in exeter and now he's got this alcoholic frenetic tabloid hack in his face like if he did though what would save the llama's response be and he's like oh i'd I don't know. What, what, what do you fucking think? No, dude. No, we would not like that. We save llamas. We're for llamas. We would be critical of a person molesting llamas. Is that the quote you need? Are we done? Animal charities fury at Boris's llama shame. And like, I, I don't want to carry on because we, like, we're two weeks deep into Currygate stuff now. And you get the fucking idea, right? Like that's just, we've just done day seven. That's how these people work. It's not just print a load of nonsense and then some celebrity complains and it's like print a little apology. It's like subtle, nuanced, gradual building of a frenzied scandal. And they could do it about anything. And one of the reasons they can do it about anything is the same reason that nothing ever gets better in this fucking sinkhole of a country because they just carry on regardless. Seriously, it's just like blank-faced insanity followed by endless repetition, you know? Like where someone just stares you in the face and then just carries on as though you hadn't told them why they shouldn't get... You, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know when someone presents a bill for a debate in Parliament? Um, or maybe you don't, I don't know. But like when... When they present a bill in Parliament and everyone debates on it and you think, oh, that's cool. You know, scrutiny, debate, suggestions for amendments, concerns, ideas for improvements. And then they spend the whole time reiterating the same shit they've said seven times before on the breakfast sofas that journalists have challenged them on. And it's been debunked and, you know, but that's their line. And no matter how many times it's already been addressed or debunked, out it comes again. And it's just fucking nonsense. Like my favourite, favourite one of those, probably the most infamous example, uh, was the internal markets bill a couple of years ago. Uh, Ed Miliband was stepping in for Keir Starmer. And the charge from the Tories was that the bill was essential 
to avoid a malicious EU blockade on UK goods. Oh, scary stuff. When in actuality, I think, and this is going back a couple of years, but I think it was designed to allow them to break international law. Let's <laughs> say the purpose of the bill was to get around, you know, avoid the specifics of their own fucking deal that they signed up to and paraded around glorious and oven ready and won their 80 seat majority on it. And, and time and again, people on the left and centre left had said, like, what? Like, where the fuck is the bit that imposes the blockade in there? If it's such a problem, where is it? And how is this new thing going to fix it? Like... And in the House of Commons, even when Ed Miliband said, all right, if it is in there, show me. Like, I'll stand aside. Where is it? Just show it to us. Still, you've got people saying this bill is necessary to avoid an EU blockade that no one could be expected to sign up to after having negotiated and signed up to it ourselves again and again and again. And so there was people like, but where is it? This bill will fix the blockade. But where, sorry, where, where is it? Hello? We need the internal markets bill to fix the EU blockade. Where is the fucking blockade bit? You tap dancing tosser. And yeah, like they all subsequently voted the internal markets bill through, even though their reasons for doing so had been roundly debunked. I think that's accurate. I think that's broadly what happened. Happy to be corrected. It's a great example of British politics and how it doesn't matter how many times you shoot something down. The same fucking idiots come back like whack-a-moles. Like, what's a, what's a recent example? Like, work from home affects productivity. No, it doesn't. It statistically does not. The vaccine rollout was successful because of Brexit. No, it fucking wasn't. We know this. How many times have we got to go through this? It's like American supermarket tabloids rolling out the same debunked story again and again, you know? Idris Elba, the next James Bond? No, he's not going to be the next James Bond. Stop saying the same thing. Bringing it back for a comeback tour again and again. Did Kennedy kill Monroe? No, she killed herself. We all know this. What the fuck is wrong with you? Of course, another good example of this is the merry-go-round we see with freedom of speech, you know, like uh, you get them going, oh, you can't say anything anymore. Cancel culture, wokeism. We have to protect free speech. And then someone like you or me maybe comes out and we go, free speech. OK, why are you silencing protest then? And then there's a brief silence. Then another Tory MP steps up. Oh, you, you can't say anything anymore. Cancel culture, wokeism. We have to protect free speech. It's just fucking batshit. It's like that. It's like that hip hop lyric. I forget where it is, where it's from now, but it's like, it's a world so insane. You have to be a bit insane to stay sane in, you know, you've got to, you have to be a bit nuts to maintain your sanity in a world this crazy. It's about twice a day. I seriously wonder to myself these days, have I gone insane or is the rest of the country utterly fucking batshit? You know, like, Anyway, where was I? Uh, where did we get to? Oh, right. Yes. So the reason they can carry on gradually building these stories like Currygate subtly over days until they explode into the, the uh, type of scandal that could, seems unlikely right now, but could bring down the leader of the opposition is because even when people do clap back, they do answer back, debunk and dismantle whatever the non-story is or was, they just ignore it and carry on. Like, 
Starmer still has questions to answer. You know, even if he's answered the fucking questions, it's balmy. Like, in what other realm where people behave in that way, like, stare you in the face as you give them the information that pokes holes in their story, that allows them to, to get to, the, to a uh, more voracious place? Is that the right word? Veracity? Voracious? A more truthful place? In what other scenario would you expect that person to stare you in the face for three seconds and then just repeat the same shit again? That is almost the definition of insanity. <laughs> Doing the same thing and expecting different results. Except in this situation, the world is so batshit that they do get different results. It's like levels deep insanity. Like they try it once last year, nothing. They try it again two or three weeks ago in the run-up to the local elections. Maybe a few people took notice. Then they kept at it and kept at it until finally they did get a different result. The motherfuckers just get worn down or think maybe that like maybe there's an element that they think uh well there must be something to it you know if you say it often enough do you think like i don't know i i don't want to get all godwin's law about this uh but i'm pretty sure it's a staple attributed to gobble gobble sorry uh like the literal nazi propagandist I think I think this comes from him where he says, like, if you repeat a lie often enough, it ostensibly becomes the truth. For all intents and purposes, you know, if you keep pushing a narrative long enough and hard enough, people will assume it is the case out of familiarity with the story or or a love of the storyteller, perhaps, or um, or this foundation of like, well, you know, there's no smoke without fire. You know, there must be something to it, like that kind of thing. And I think Currygate is a depressing 21st century example of that. And it will be in the history books. Just as hashtag Boris fucks livestock will be, you know, once we get, once we start that campaign, that coordinated media campaign in earnest. Uh, HuffPost, FT, Guardian, call me. We can make this happen. Anyway, let's move on. I still, I still want to talk about Corbynism today. And, um, uh, you know, because it's been at the forefront of my mind for about a week now. Uh, last week was a bit of a weird one for me. I've talked shit about Corbyn on Twitter before. You know, I'm not character assassinating him on a daily basis like a, a lot of people do. Um, but, I've, you know, I've mentioned a couple of things about him. Uh, and I've had a couple of people come back at me and call me a centrist, like it's a swear word. Um I've taken the piss out of Jeremy Corbyn on the podcast. I've had people in the chat call me a shill, <laughs> which is fine. Like, you know, whatever. I'm a big boy. Um, but last week was a bit different. You know, like I um, I put a tweet out ahead of the local elections. And it said something along the lines of, uh, I try and remember it now. It was like, I understand that you might hate Starmer. I get that. But what I don't understand is why you would hate starmer more than you hate boris johnson you know i think that's almost word for word what i tweeted and i think the point is quite clear you know vote for labor if you can it's got to be better than the tories it's a two-horse race which in my mind it is you can tactically vote and you should you should absolutely tactically vote to remove tories fewer tories in parliament or indeed in councils mean the government actually have to negotiate with voices from different backgrounds who hopefully have morally centered agendas, you know, basically fewer Tories. That's the goal. Great. Just don't abstain. You get the idea. 
but then something weird happened. Like someone jumped in my Twitter history, pulled out a tweet of mine from 2019 where I said that I wouldn't be voting Labour. And this, you may recall, was the final Corbyn general election. And I said I'd be voting Lib Dems because they were the tactical voting choice in my area. And understandably, they were like, hang on a second. You're saying don't vote Tory, go with Labour or tactically vote. But look, here you are in 2019 saying you wouldn't vote Labour. And oh, look at this. You're in town X, which was geotagged on the tweet. And then they looked it up on Wikipedia the vote history of the town. And then they're like, Labour would have been the tactical vote first choice. And you didn't even support them yourself then when Corbyn was lead leader. <laughs> so so why should we do this shit for Starmer now? You're a fucking hypocrite, mate. It was like the gist of the barrage of unquenchable hate on last, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday. I guess it was last Wednesday because that was the day before the elections. And so then there was, you know, tweet after tweet and threads and screenshots of my face and people calling me a twat and you voted Lib Dem, you abandoned Corbyn when there was a genuine socialist agenda. You helped lose Labour that election. Now you want our help, you bigoted, goofy prick, you know? And it's difficult to say, it's difficult to say with certainty, like what might have diffused that frothing, pitchfork-waving mob situation on Twitter. But it doesn't appear to have been helped by the wording of the 2019 tweet, which also included a joke about how Corbyn looks like he wanks over porn mags that he founded in the bushes in the 70s. That did not help. I can confirm. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to come on to the foundations of their issue with Starmer in a sec. And then, and then we can go on to how I think we move forward, right? Um, but let's stay on track with what happened last week first. Uh, so I was getting a shit ton of... of uh, attention, if you like, from supposedly progressive liberal rainbow flag accounts with bot-like names and fake pictures and suspiciously low follower accounts. But I don't know, man. Like, it's <laughs> it's funny. Like, when when it's some bald guy with an England flag looking like Phil Mitchell giving you abuse, you're like, yeah, like, that, that fits that. You know, he's cast perfectly. You don't expect that bald England flag motherfucker called, like, brexit mix 73 to be nice to you you don't you just don't you know like i see you tweet about javascript sometimes and i'm impressed that you retrained you know it's like he's, he's never gonna say i don't know you just don't expect that kind of that's not easy with a young family i respect it you know it's not you're not you don't expect that from brexit mix 73 you expect a taste of a serbia if that's even a word you expect stuff like, you loudmouth piece of shit. But when it's like, when it's a cartoon profile pic with rainbow emojis, uh, it feels like South Park or something. It feels, you know, it's a little cute rain, uh, rainbow and like bunny rabbit profile pic, cute manga face or something. You just imagine it like a, a cute Disney character, but scripted by Matt Stone and Trey Parker, like... We found an old tweet, you hypocritical piece of shit. You know, like, it's, like how do you... It's it's hard to feel totally threatened by that. You claim to be left, but you're a, you're a centrist and your attitude is problematic. How much are Tufton Street paying you, you fucking shill? You know, it's like how... I don't know. I didn't get it too bad. Uh, 
and and the the some of the abuse that I got was like, look, I get it, I understand. I've been, I have been a bit of a loudmouth, and there's some stuff I didn't feel totally clued up on, and it's difficult to then, you know, fire back and be like, no, fuck you, you know, when you know that actually you need to read up on this stuff a little bit more. Like you're not in a totally good space to just fire back abuse to people, or at least that's how I felt. But also like. I didn't feel like I got it too bad because I know female political contributors who've been botnet attacked. Like, a, I don't know if you're particularly technical guys who listen to this, but a botnet is like a, you know, a network of bots. And there could be 10,000 or 100,000 of them. And they are all in unison told to go out and tweet and attack like a swarm of bees. And I can tell you now, like when it's a woman talking about politics, like some of my friends and and she questions the logic of say like splitting the left vote like if it's a woman doing that the cuddly fluffy progressive shit leaves the room like the rainbows the equality the hashtag male feminist stuff is out the fucking door then it's like ugly drawn pictures of them and they get called starmer sluts and they get you know sometimes it leaves you wondering what they're in it for if it's that easy for them to abandon their principles <laughs> you know, somebody questions something about something that they, you know, then they immediately flip to the worst possible human. It's like, it's like, I'm a progressive liberal person and I hold progressive, liberal, kind, good, equal values. And then, you know, a woman walks into the room like, oh, okay, yeah, I like all of those, except maybe this one here would work better. You dare to question my superior man brain. Burn this black lesbian whore. You know, it's like, I'm not saying that's every progressive Corbynite on Twitter. Obviously, it's not. I'm saying that's how it feels when the worst of them launch a full scale, apparently coordinated attack. That's just how it comes across, I think, for those accounts. It's just bizarre seeing that kind of language, those kind of replies from those kind of accounts, you know? Now, I didn't help myself when I decided near the end of the day. And it was nearly like, because honestly, like if you responded to them one by one, as they're coming in, it's like 99 new notifications, 75 new notifications, another 99 new notifications. Like if you tried to respond to every single one of them in a situation like that, you would be like a fucking wimpy waitress trying to take orders in a riot, you know? So near the end of the day, I responded to one or two of the accounts with what I thought was a reasonable approach. Because they had what I thought were reasonable questions, inquiries, if you like. So first up, like, why vote Lib Dem in 2019 when Labour would have been the tactical choice? So I went into my old emails, right? Because it didn't sit right. Like, I remember thinking for sure at the time that Lib Dems were the sensible choice, but I don't remember exactly where I got the information to arrive at that conclusion. So I went back into my old emails from around that time and I found an email between me and my girlfriend where we were discussing things that we would do to the house once we moved in, you know, so we hadn't moved in yet. And that email, I think, was in July or August. So July or August time, 2019, I was not living in this town. So then haphazardly, I was like, oh, well, you know, that makes sense then because the election would have been in May or June. And if we hadn't moved in yet by August, then I would have still been in Guildford where the Lib Dems actually stand a chance of winning. So that would explain why I was like, you know, I'm going to vote Lib Dem because they're the tactical choice. And, you know, so I went back to this guy, uh, this seemingly actually quite angry, combative account. And it was hard to make out if it was a real person or not, because like <laughs> the writing felt native English. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that this person is actually a Brit in Britain. You know, like the profile pic was a real photo, but of whom, from where, no idea. But taking it on face value that the account was genuine and the query seemed quite reasonable, why did you vote Lib Dem then? I replied back, well, it's quite simple, you know, yet boring, actually. I, I just wasn't living here in 2019. And so then this account fired back something like, you idiot, like, why didn't you just say that instead of letting people wonder and reply and assume? So I replied back again. I said, again, like, sorry to disappoint, but the answer is quite boring. I've, I've just been busy with work all day, you know? And now here, as I said on TikTok yesterday, here, much like if you swallowed 100 jalapenos and washed them down with beetroot, here is where the shit gets weird. Because then, then the guy goes back into my Twitter history and presumably starts searching for my town name and moving in and house move and some other key phrases and, and you know, whatever. The search results come back and it shows that I moved in in August, right, of general election. Uh, sorry, August of uh, 2019 and the general election was in not May, not June, December. I'd completely forgotten that it was in December that year. I always associate, you know, elections like May the 1st or May the 5th, you know. So I was living here then. So then I, I see this tweet that he's brought up and it's me saying, moving to this town, you know, in, in three weeks. And, you know, obviously it's right. And so then it all hit me. I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, because the election was in December and we did move in sun in the summer. I remember that. So I would have been living here. So now I'm in all kinds of shit because I'm firstly, I'm I'm slightly bemused. I'm like, well, why did I vote Lib Dem then? If Because I started going back over the old like, tactical voting stuff. I was like, it does say that Labour were the tactical voting choice. So why did I vote Lib Dem? And I don't know if I, like, I honestly don't have a good answer for that. I, I Like, I'm pretty certain I, I explored the tactical vote and stuff, but maybe the site I went to was a different one and it said Lib Dems, or maybe I went to the Lib Dem site, or, you know, I just wasn't particularly clued up on it. I think maybe that or the possibility that Lib Dems, I think it was 2019 election, came out with such a strong anti-Brexit message that I may have just voted for them. I, don't, I honestly don't remember but I'm in all kinds of shit on Twitter at this point with this guy because it looks like I've lied to get myself out of a tight spot. And sure enough, they show me the tweet where it's like, I'm moving to this town in three weeks. Who wants to be my best friend? It was like, you know, the jokey tweet I did. So I, I just had to hold my hands up. I went, oh yeah, no, you're right. I checked my emails. I thought I was in Guildford still, but you're right. I would have been here for that general election in December. So here I am thinking... He'll come back with, you know, because he seemed he, like he was a bit aggressive, a bit combative. Uh, but I felt like because 99 times out of 100, when I engage with people on TikTok or Twitter, I can kind of diffuse it. I can bring it back down to a, uh, a civil place to the point where I've had people call me all manner of things. And then by the end of the thread of talking to them, then they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Sorry. I was a bit of a dick earlier. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing more of you. And it, you know, it's like, that's There's a nice sort of uptick emotionally when you get someone to calm down a little bit in that respect. So I thought maybe this would happen if I just held my hands up. If I said like, yeah, no, you're right. I did move in that time. Okay. Well, you know, I don't know what to say. Uh, I would have been here for the general election in December. Um, you know, hold your hands up, be, show some integrity like that kind of vibe and so i thought he was going to come back with like oh you tit you know 
like a little bit aggressive. You tit, like, oh, all right, well, you know, I can see why people think it's a bit hypocritical of you to go on supporting Labour, you know, and tactical voting when it looks like you abandoned Labour, even when they were the obvious choice for tactical voting, right? I mean, you can see that, aid, but, but you know, let's move it. You know, I thought he might come back with something measured and reasonable, but no, it was like no such measured reason or desire to discuss tactical voting or to root out why, in my opinion, they think it's okay to implicitly extend the Tory tenure for another five years, uh, which, you know, if you don't tactically vote or if you do abandon Labour, that's my personal stance, is that you're implicitly kind of signing off on more Tory rule. Um, but there was none of there was none of that sort of measured civ civility. It was like the first reply back, capital letters, like, actually, was it capital letters? Am I talking shit now? But it was definitely like you you fucking lying melt. It was like like so angry and like abusive. I'm like like okay, well then what are we doing here? You know, like it reminded me reminded me of the early days on TikTok. You know, like I don't get it much now because I've mercilessly like blocked the worst offenders on TikTok. Hashtag free speech, lol. But it like it used to be like you put up a political TikTok. And then you would get a comment and, uh, you know, like the, the gist of the TikTok would be like, hey, maybe we should think about saving the earth from climate crisis. And then the first comment you'd get would be like, lefty scum, look at your fucking goofy teeth and big ears. And then, you know, then you try and have fun with it. You know, you try and get a bit of banter out of it and try and bring them down, you know. So you you reply back and you say like, bro, you think I'm ugly. You should see my comment section. You know, like just play with it a little bit or like... Uh, you know, they go, your TikToks are so shit. And you go like, oh, you think this is bad? You should see my Twitter. You know, like you just try and be a bit self-deprecating, have a bit of fun, try and bring them down a little bit. But then what happens if they then reply back with, yeah, well, you, you're a fuckhead. You know, like, there's no banter, no wit to it. And then it's just like, well, what? Like, what? OK, well, what are we doing here? Like, this is just boring now, you know, be gone, <laughs> block, you know. And it reminded me of that, it felt like that. But they questioned the tactical voting thing. I said, I wasn't living here. They were like, oh, you were? I said, oh, yeah, no, I was. Thanks. And then it's, you fucking lying melt. Like, after that, I just grabbed a Chrome extension where you can just mute whole threads. And I blocked about 500 people. And I, I imagine that probably came across like, you know, like, oh, we've exposed him. But honestly, it was more like I've made my point, you know, get the Tories out. Just because I fucked up my tactical voting in the past doesn't render tactical voting useless. You know, I've got a young family, a job. I'm happy to be corrected. I was corrected, but I'm not going to spend my life refreshing Twitter and responding to every weird, combative, permanently aggressive account on Twitter. I'm just not, you know. So instead, I, you know, I was a bit pissed off and I made a mocking video about Corbynites digging out my old tweets, sobbing about what I had called him in the tweets and basically, you know, they would be incredibly upset and I was mocking their hero, like, you know, that kind of vibe. And it wasn't my finest moment. It was pretty childish. But I think in the context of things, you know, this deluge of accounts disingenuously pretending that tactical voting is bullshit just because I fucked up my vote in 2019. The implication being that I was insufficiently adoring of the Labour leader at that point. So now why should they be supportive of the current Labour leader if people like me weren't supportive of, of theirs, if you like? And I don't know, it just sort of pushed me into a space where I was 
questioning the motives of these accounts. Like, you know, what, what actually is their issue with me, an almost entirely unknown figure, prompting people in a somewhat sarcastic way, admittedly, to vote Labour or indeed to vote tactically? And the two motives I came away with was that tactical voting could well deliver a minority Labour government, which would render the aggrieved Corbyn followers, if you like, parliamentarily irrelevant, for want of a better word. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. I'll, I'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, so that was that. I don't, you know, that was last week. Um, and before I move on, I will just say it wasn't just me in the last week. Friends of mine were targeted, seemingly also by like a botnet or some sort of coordinated attack. Uh, and it sounds a bit over the top, but it, honestly, it was like a swarm of bees, like of low follower, fake profile pic accounts, 99 notifications every second, that kind of vibe. It was, you know, jarring. Now, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days. I, I, I want to talk specifically about Corbyn and Starmer for a minute, and, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up for the day, because uh, fuck me. I've been, this is a long episode for me to just talk to myself. Normally, these ones are about sort of 30 minutes, 35 um, but I had a lot to, to get off my chest today, so uh, humour me. I've um, been thinking about this the last last few days, about jokes that I've made at the expense of Corbyn fans, of Owen Jones, uh, who honestly I'm sure is a lovely guy, uh, but who I just cannot get my head around in terms of what I perceive to be self-sabotage, like the short-termist mentality. Just savage the Labour leader when he's your best shot of power. And then once he's in number 10, you have someone that you stand half a chance of having a meeting with, putting your policy ideas across to, you know, and I've tried to put myself in the position of what we hear called the far left of Labour. I've, you know, like, like, because it's no good just endlessly, like, baiting people and taking the piss and further driving division. It's just, you know, not really productive. And I, I did a TikTok about this yesterday where I kind of outlined what I thought were the real issues with Keir Starmer from the far left's perspective um, that are cited by momentum, far left types, the ones who went for me last week. Because it's a bit like, you know, if you continue to dismiss and diminish these people's perspective, like they're all just embittered Corbyn fans, you know, the magic grandparism of it. If you continue to pursue that, it's not like they're going to go, oh, well, you know, that makes me feel silly. So I guess I'll support Keir Starmer instead. So I don't feel silly. You know, that's not how it works. So I figured let's just flip the script, really try to understand where they're coming from. So I looked at a few of the tweets and I reread a few articles about Starmer from different websites that I wouldn't ordinarily go to. Um, and the takeaways were thus. Um, it seemed to me, and I'm again, happy to be corrected or for people to add caveats, whatever. Uh, but it seemed to me that they feel Starmer won the leadership in 2020 after Corbyn lost that general election and Johnson got the 80-seat majority. They feel that he got the Labour leadership on the basis that he would keep the key pillars of the 2019 manifesto, right? So public ownership of utilities, nationalisation, tackle tax avoidance, put more of a tax burden on companies and high earners. Um, and the sense is that he's abandoned those pledges. And if you go on KeirStarmer.com, you can still see the fucking pledges there. And because he attained the leadership based on sticking to them to gain votes from the left of the party, as well as the centre, that now, because he's taken a more pro-business stance and opposed an increase in corporation tax, 
uh, they understandably feel he was dishonest and exploitative in getting the leadership. And now he's in the top job. He's letting his true colours show. Uh, and they feel those colours are somewhat more right-leaning than the socialist policies that he had committed to, right? So, oh, and they, they also have a huge problem with the fact that he ejected Corbyn from the party, withdrew the whip. Um, so we'll, we'll come back on to Starmer in a second, but let, let's just quickly touch on Corbyn being booted out first. So, like, my take on Corbyn, as I've said a bunch of times on different episodes and two different people was that he was probably a nice guy. I'm sure he was a great constituency MP, probably not an anti-Semite, uh, but just a fairly useless leader. You know, someone you wanted to see land killer blows in PMQs and really grapple with whatever mud they slung at him. Like, you know, I wanted him to be a likable, strong, witty communicator who could win people over and, market socialism in a, a 21st century way to the masses in a way that was accessible and couldn't be misrepresented as throwback communism or whatever you know but he was none of those things in my opinion now there's a lot you could say around the media and how they treated him and the mauling he got but fundamentally it came down to that for me you know i felt a better leader would have been able to maneuver their way around the political attacks that were thrown at him and him being tossed out of the party is actually as good an example of that as any because i think you know originally when he had the whip removed was for responding to the anti-semitism report like like his response to it was like oh well the problem was overstated for political reasons like that's pretty much word for word what he said. It was overstated for political reasons. Like he took the findings of an independent report that sought to get the truth of what was going on after his own Jewish MPs had said, this is what happens to me. And I tried to raise the problem, but I was told to shut up and all that stuff. Even after everything, even after <laughs> an independent report looked into it and came back and said, it's fucking rife. <laughs> He's like, it wasn't even really a problem. <laughs> you know, like... That is not good leadership. Even if you think that, even if you think it was a lot of politicking and the Tories using it as a stick to beat you with, you must know how bad that's going to look. And you must have a team around you that knows how bad that's going to sound. Like, well, they said in the report that I didn't take it seriously enough. Oh, cool. What are you going to do now? I'm going to say it wasn't ever really a fucking problem in the first place. Uh, Jeremy, I don't, I don't think you should. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. I felt... Like, to me, in my perspective, in that situation, I felt he looked fucking ridiculous. Arrogant, completely detached, and tone deaf. Again, just my opinion. Others are available. But given, like, you know, the white-hot focus on the Labour Party as endemic with anti-Semitism and the tabloid frenzy around it, and then the results of that report, that independent report saying how rife it was and how it wasn't taken seriously. And there were problems with the leadership and responding to accusations. of, it. And then his reaction to it, like, oh, it wasn't even really a pro Like, what the fuck did he think was going to happen? It's like, it's like, ima right, imagine this. You've got to convince a ju uh, jury that you're not a wife beater, right? And your lawyer is like, 
the doctors say her injuries are conducive with being pummeled with a toaster by someone twice her size. <laughs> That's what your lawyer is saying. He's like, so I think we should just accept the doctor's findings and just say you fell short and you apologize. And and then you're like, nah, no, nah, I'll just say it wasn't even that bad. Your lawyer's going to be like, what? <laughs> You'll be like, yeah, yeah, she overstated it to get sympathy and attention. She fucking loves the attention. Don't you, Shelley? Don't you? You, you fucking loving this. Aren't you? you know, like, that's how it kind of plays out to me. Just this sort of embittered, detached kind of arrogance. I know that's a bit of an uncouth example or metaphor. And God knows, like, the last few days... I've had a few strips torn off me for clumsy metaphors, but I mean, it's, it is exactly the same is what I'm saying. Uh, so there we go. You know, in looking into the far left's con concerns about Starmer, I sort of found, we're going back to Starmer now, by the way, sorry. I sort of found I understood them a lot more, you know, like I understood what someone's positions might be uh, when, when they class themselves as a socialist to gain social socialist votes and he got 54 percent, so quite a lot right i understand what someone's position might be then after that when you turn around and refuse to oppose tory policies about x and y uh i understand that the far left if we're calling them that of labor um are then a bit like oh well hang on a second like what the fuck is this you know <laughs> i lent my vote to you to get you into office and now like what the fuck are you doing i understand that and i am sorry for buying into the magic grandpa stuff before uh, I get the problems with Starmer. I, I understand. The guy's not above scrutiny. He's not my perfect candidate either. Never was. I just sort of, you know, I sort of look at him like he's occupying this centre-right fiscal space, usually inhabited by the Conservatives, with the idea being that he will gain power. Like, he'll win people's confidence, some male readers maybe, some sun readers, and then once he's in number 10, he will implement socially liberal policies on schools hospitals tackle institutional racism and look at proportional representation and so on. like that's how i see it is I, I said on a tiktok yesterday it's like a verbal magic trick you know or a political magic trick like he's saying like while while you were looking at like fucking corporation tax over here while you were looking at you know not introducing a higher rate tax i was over here fixing institutional racism you know it's it's playing a game it's a balancing act on his side to get him into office and then we can actually implement change uh but other people feel differently other people feel very betrayed and i understand that um and i guess where i've arrived really you know just to round off this week is is realizing a couple of things you know uh that yes there's a lot of anger to starmer uh some of it's kind of stupid you know there are idiots out there some of it is i love corbyn and you didn't support jezza so now i won't support your guy you know it's, it's a lot of that stuff which is fine if that's you great all the best but that is not everyone on the far left uh you know those guys do exist in the same way that the worst of the right wing exists so there's that but there's also a lot of disillusionment with starmer that he needs to get on top of like, at the moment, it's just Diane Abbott and Owen Jones picking at him from the sidelines. But if unions start pulling out or they move to the Greens or something, presumably he's going to have all kinds of problems, funding, support, votes, you know. And the second thing was, like, the Corbyn lot, for want of a better group name, collective name. The second thing I've come away with this week is that they need a figurehead. They need, you know, you could make the case that, like, Corbyn was their figurehead and he's been ejected from the party and that's fine. I don't see him being reintroduced mostly because of that anti-Semitism report and his response to it. 
But that doesn't mean you can't have a figurehead. I feel like that's what they're missing. They desperately need a, a figurehead that can represent their frustrations, put their fears and concerns across over a table with Starmer and Rayner once a week. You know, morning coffees, <laughs> breakfast club or something. Get them back on side. They desperately need a figurehead. Starmer, in fact, desperately needs the Corbin lot to have a figurehead. Because without that input, I really think the division in Labour is just going to get worse and worse. It really is. It's like I said earlier, they're not just going to go away and go, oh, well, I felt silly, so now I'll support Starmer. You know, they're going to get disillusioned more so. And to some extent, you can go, well, you know, Labour's been polling well the last six months, and that's true, but they can't really win a majority unless they regain the Red Wall or unless they regain Scotland, which is just, you know, not going to happen anytime soon. So they need to rebuild those bridges with the Red Wall and the left of the party. Um, unless, I don't know, here's, right, here's a fucking weird thought to leave you on. Because, uh, like, some of those Red Wall seats are staying blue, right? They're Brexity northern towns that have jumped on the Boris bus, if you like. And then now there's this thing about Labour being the party of Mayfair, you know, Westminster. Um, what was the other fucking big one that they won this week? I mean, Southampton was a big one, but uh, Wandsworth, that was it. So there's this thing about, you know, Labour being the Mayfair party in Wandsworth and Westminster. And so here's, here's a weird question for you. How weird would it be if a Starmerism, as it were, leans to the right, fiscal conservatism, nice suits, Blair light, and disillusioned conservative constituencies start moving to Labour? Meanwhile, traditional Labour seats in places like the Red Wall move to Tory. It would be like, how weird would it be if both their traditional heartlands end up swapping places, you know, <laughs> like upending each other? Just utterly fucking bizarre. Anyway, look, I've been talking for a while, guys, so um, I'm going to leave it there. The takeaways on this, uh, I just want to emphasize again, like Labour desperately need, in my opinion, to get a figurehead in place who represents the pissed off left of the party, who can put forward their concerns. Uh, someone that's got a bit of charisma, someone that can be that that face of the left that is not Jeremy Corbyn. It needs to be a fresh new face. Labour need to stop ejecting representatives from those corners of the party too. If they if they don't, more division. There is more more to the scrutiny of Starmer than just magic grandpaism. That's the other thing. But try to remember also, guys, that Corbyn is not beyond criticism either. Okay, that's the I hope that's all right. Takeaways from this. I haven't got myself into any more trouble. Uh, if you enjoy these podcasts or indeed the blogs that come out on the weekend, please do consider checking out the Patreon where all the content goes first. Uh, there's three tiers that you can choose from. I know times are tough, uh, which is why I've made the decision to put out all the episodes for free still. Uh, they just go up onto Patreon first, right? So you get early access. Uh, there's also going to be some bonus content on there. And uh, if we do live shows, myself, Super Tansky, uh, Davey Moo, we'll probably sell tickets through Patreon also. Um, and then once once content comes off Patreon, obviously it goes onto Spotify and Apple Podcasts a day or two later. Uh, there's a midweek episode, which is this right now with you and me, uh, but mostly me. Uh, going over whatever is in the news or, you know, sometimes it's just me talking shit about some weird godless news story from the US that I found. Uh, and then Fridays, I get a guest on. Uh, this week, this coming Friday night, it will be a chap called Josh who's been doing some admirable work 
promoting tactical voting, amongst other things. Uh, that episode will be out this Friday night on live stream and then out to Patreons after. And of course, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. after that. Until then, take care of yourselves. Keep it strictly hashtag Bimfluencers, hashtag Boris fucks livestock. And I will catch up with you all on the flip side. We outie.